This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. podcast courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along with the international break upon us. We're going to throw it open to you for some audience questions on this week's edition and with Messrs. Gorst, Doyle, uh, Bradbury, Rimmer, Squires all sunning themselves during the international break. I'm delighted to say I have Kai Delaney and Rich Garnett alongside and uh, well Kai and I are in the office today. Rich, you're still stuck at home, so uh, we're, we're having to have a bit of a, a mash-up today. That's it, mate. Yeah, I mean, obviously, some of the big guns have been called on into duty there, uh, international duty. Rimmer, an absolute chew-in for, for an international appearance, but I'm uh, hoping to make a big impression today and maybe get a call up next time. Well, you've done expertly since arriving on deadline day, so uh, I'm sure I'm sure the call isn't too far away, Rich. Uh Let's let's get into things. And before we get into our, our listener questions, Rich, I want to throw over to you today on the news that the FA Cup semi-final confirmation as if it were really needed. The FA really always unlikely to change their minds as to if they were going to move the FA Cup semi-final with Manchester City due to, of course, those train delays. But there have been some, some kind of concessions made by the FA to try and help supporters get down for the game. Um, you could call it a concession if you want. It's probably more of uh, an apology uh, for a, a lack of foresight into uh, the logistical nightmare that is going to be the FA Cup semi-final on, on the 16th of April. Uh, they've known for a long time that there was going to be planned railworks in place on that weekend, but it doesn't look like that's ever really been much of a consideration uh, for the FA when it comes to comes to planning uh, these these big games uh, obviously they're not they're not to know which teams are going to be in the semi-finals uh, w- when these announcements are made but nevertheless there's always a good chance it's going to feature a team from the northwest of England given given the standard of the teams that, that are up there and always competing or there or thereabouts uh, for trophies so it shouldn't come as any real shock when all of a sudden they've got a situation where they've got supporters from two clubs that can't actually get to the ground uh, via a train and are forced onto Britain's motorways. So um, it's you know it's staggering to think that the draw for this game was actually done before Liverpool had even played Nottingham Forest last Sunday, and yet here we are, Friday lunchtime, uh, only now getting confirmation of when the game will actually go ahead uh, and what time and what the arrangements were are around it. And, and, and that should show you, if nothing else, that obviously the, the, the impact that, that the uh, travel arrangements could, could have on both clubs simply hadn't been thought about beforehand. So, I mean, buses is obviously going to help to a degree, but, it, it, you know, it's really it's a, it's a sticky plaster on a broken leg sort of scenario. Uh, it'll get people up there and down there uh, by some means, uh, to quote uh, a famous singer and names name eludes me. I don't care how you get there, just get here if you can. Is it Tracy Chapman? Might have been. Um, that's all they're bothered about. As long as we can get them in and fill Wembley and, and make the money, then uh, to hell with uh, what other inconvenience you suffer along the way. So, um, good that they're free, uh, but that's pretty much where the good sentiment ends, I think. Yeah, 100 free buses being put on for Manchester City and Liverpool fans to make the journey down. As Rich was finishing off there, Kai, I suppose it's kind of one of those though, isn't it, where you do really scratch your head at the FA and it is kind of profits first, supporters second. 
Yeah, you, you do scratch your head, but at the same time, you're not really because cash is king and it always has and, and always will be, certainly where the FA are involved. And, you know, it goes right back to the fact of the, the FA Cup semi-finals being played at Wembley in the first place, which many people up and down the country for fans of all clubs disagree with. And I know it's, if, if you're a, maybe a lesser club that's not going to get the chance to go to Wembley as often, it's, it's a nice day out and you get the chance to go there. But really, I think, you know, traditionalists and, and, and everyone alike would, would like the final to just be at Wembley. It makes it that more special and, and more of a showpiece occasion. The semi-finals do take away from that, there's no doubt. Um, and, you know, in, with regards to this game in particular, certainly with the two clubs involved, Liverpool and, and Man City, both being in the northwest, with all the disruption on the train lines and everything that weekend, logic would state surely Old Trafford, if not Old Trafford, maybe somewhere like Villa Park would be closer and easier for, for fans, certainly. But, um, you know, the, the fact that you've had both sets of fans, that the fan groups coming together on this and, and putting in, uh, writing to the FA, putting in a request, and then Liverpool themselves making the request as well. It's, it's all just been ignored, and um, I think it, it just comes back to, you know, we want to make more money, as much money as we can, and it's up to you to to get around that and sort yourselves out. A hundred buses, I think, I saw somewhere that equates to about five thousand fans. Um, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's a it's a drop in the ocean, and there's going to be thousands of fans for, for both sets of supporters left out of pocket and, and with um you know facing real challenges to get down to the game. To be fair, five thousand fans is probably all that the ticket allocation is going to be given the corporate tickets sold. I'm, I'm of course in jest saying that, but but Rich, for me there was never any alternative of the game being played anywhere other than Wembley. I mean Kai mentioned there Old Trafford, I think Manchester United have a game that weekend at home with, with Norwich City. Villa Park a great FA Cup semi-final venue down the years, but how long has it been even even now since semi-finals weren't staged at Wembley? We must be past a, a decade or so since that has been the case. And I mean, for, for me, with the packages, obviously the FA will be selling to corporate ticket holders of, of season package deals that they have. FA Cup semi-finals are included in the hospitality deals they sell. For them, as, as I said to Kai, it, it very much is, is profits first. Well, absolutely. And and to be honest with you, that, that's probably the key reason why this fixture hasn't been moved to a, an alternative location. The, the FA will have done forecasting uh, based on the semi-final being held at Wembley. It'll have a projection to how much money it'll make off that. It's, you've got those, uh, you've got those uh, seats uh, right on the halfway line there that have been, I think they're sold up to 10 years in advance and and. And as far as I'm aware, they just belong to whoever owns them. They're not they're not shipped out for different games. If someone doesn't turn up for it, the seat stays empty. And and the people people who've bought those sort of tickets might might not be Liverpool or Manchester City supporters, probably aren't. Uh, um will will have bought a ticket on the basis that the semi-final of the FA Cup is going to be held uh, in Wembley Stadium and they've got a ticket for it. Uh, there's there's so many different uh stakeholders. In, in that in that situation that even though from a transport view and the vast majority of, of supporters view moving the uh, semi-final to uh, an alternative location would be a far more sensible thing to do it's just too many other uh, fingers in pies elsewhere to be able to make that happen it was absolutely no shock to me whatsoever that it wasn't moved I don't think that was ever going to be the case it was just more a case of what what um plan was going to be brought together 
to uh, you know to try and appease supporters uh, w- when the decision was made. Look, it's still at Wembley, but this is what we're going to do for you. And that that's all that's really happened. Really, it's just a shame that we've had a delay this long to be able to come up with what looks like a, a fa- fairly straightforward decision. You mentioned the delay there. I think um, if Paul Gorse did a really interesting piece just on the back of this um, a few days ago. Mentioned that I, I think it was around November time that the FA were actually first made aware of this. Not by not by Liverpool or, or City, of course. They didn't know they were going to be playing in, in this stage of the competition. But um, the you know the the rail um, the people that are taking care of the works on there actually made made the FA aware that this would happen and. They've had what three, four months to to plan, maybe put something in place, depending on what teams are going to be there. You could say perhaps they were maybe banking it would be two London clubs, and it makes their lives a lot easier. But obviously that said, though, I think even because it's it's over the Easter weekend, of course, two bank holidays. I'm pretty sure I might be wrong in saying this, but I'm pretty sure even from Victoria, where Palace will be coming from, there are train works being done around that Croydon area as well. So actually, mm. of the four teams who have got to the the semi-finals. Only Chelsea really wouldn't have much of a problem getting to Wembley, but they can't sell sell tickets as we well know. So it, it all round, due to obviously a number of different factors, is is quite a farcical way in which which is all played yeah, out. Absolutely, I think Chelsea have got now tickets, haven't they, for the, the semi final? That's now been reversed. But um, yeah, all, all in all, it's a it's a farcical situation really, and as you say, pretty much more or less every club, three of the four involved, are, are going to face some real uh, real challenges. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, the FA's response is, is, seems very uh, reactionary, doesn't it? You know what I mean? And, you know, you've pointed out they were, they were aware of the problems on, on the rail lines. I don't think it's the first time there's been games uh, in London or certainly not at Wembley where, where there has been some sort of rail issue going on involving uh, planned maintenance work. But it's almost like, oh, we've got this problem, but we don't know who's in the final yet. So we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But unfortunately, when it comes to crossing that bridge, you're only about three weeks away from the game itself. So then, then it then it does become it comes up it becomes a problem for someone. But realistically, it hasn't really become that big a problem for the FA because they've laid on buses. They don't have to do anything differently. Everything about the actual setup of the game, the logistics, the people working it, how the revenue that's made of it, none of that changes. The only person that's inconvenienced is a supporter. Yeah. Just did want to touch on as well. I've seen a few people on Twitter question why don't they simply just swap the games over? Because Liverpool, of course, play uh, Man City away on on the tenth of April. Um, but there, I think again, it was, it was Paul Gorse. I'm like a Paul Gorse spokesperson <laughs> on this pod today, but I did see see him reply um, to to people on Twitter and just say there's also roadworks, uh, sorry, train works on the track that weekend. So swapping the fixtures would, would make no difference there. Yeah, I think I think some of the. I think they said some of the planned road, uh, non-essential planned roadworks have been paused. Uh, so who knows? You might be able to get down the M6 maybe ten minutes quicker. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust the M6 all too much. But hey, yeah, there's the uh, free coaches that have been uh, laid on. As Gorsley said earlier in the week, the echo kind of understanding that the FA were aware of this all the way back to November 2019 before they were written to in September to consider a move because of the potential rails disruption. It just shows you, as you said, Richard's kicking the can down the road until they really do have to uh, deal with the problem, which mm, they've not really. They've just kind of gone around it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Right, 
let's get into some listener questions then during this international break here on the Blood Red podcast. And uh, the first one I'm going to go into, uh, Rich, that's that's been put forward is, can Liverpool bring back number seven this season to Anfield in the Champions League? I know there's been an awful lot of talk around the quadruple, but certainly through this week, a lot of people seemingly sort of looking at that, at that Champions League trophy as the one that Liverpool really can look to hone in on and, and win. Well, there's certainly no reason why they can't win it. Um, the, the, obviously, the concern is that how much focus can be put on one com- competition when you're vying for trophies on on three fronts. It's it's a bit of a mad ordeal to deal with, really. And I, I'm going to sound really cliche there, but they can only take one game at a time, can't they? And it, and, uh, and it seems impossible to look beyond that because the, the minute you start doing that, you can you can lose your way and, and before you know it, you can be out of two competitions or out of the run of the two competitions very quickly. But they, they got a favourable um, draw on paper. You know, it could have been a lot worse. They've avoided the two English clubs uh, in, in their own side of the draw, which I think was good news for Liverpool as well. You don't want to be... You know, ideally, you don't want to be playing Chelsea uh, or, or Manchester City until the final if you can avoid it. Um, you know, Benfica won't be a pushover by by any uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But um, if you were going to pick a tie uh, out out of the teams that were left in that was more favourable to Liverpool, given the other games that they've got to play, uh, then you know Benfica or Villarreal probably would have been the options that you were looking for. Um, it, I always say. If you know if you get drawn against a big team in the Champions League, well, well, so what? Because playing in the European Cup is all about playing the best teams. That's what you're in it for. You know what I mean? You don't, you're not really in it to play average European sides. You're in it to play your Real Madrid, your Bayern Munichs, and and, and and whatnot. But when you get to this stage of a competition and you're still involved in a really tight title race uh, against an exceptional side, and you've also got a chance of of uh, winning the FA Cup, which may have had less focus on it if it wasn't for the fact that Liverpool can actually perform a clean sweep here, um, then I, I think getting a club like Benfica w- w- was basically uh, uh, the good little bit of fortune that Liverpool needed, really. So I, I, I would, at this stage, having said don't look too far ahead, at this stage I would say, uh, yeah, I would, I would fancy Liverpool to get to the final. And, uh, of course... When, when you get that far, anything can happen. So uh, I'm, I'm not saying they'll definitely win it, but absolutely, they've got a really good chance. I was going to say, but absolutely, they definitely are going to. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Match has asked, with so many questions in the air about the future of Liverpool, I think it's fair to ask which part of the phase or the plan are the team currently on? Kai, I'll throw that one over to you. And this is, I, I find, quite a fascinating question in terms of, obviously, we're two years away from Jurgen Klopp's contract end date. And to me, it feels as though the building of the next team is very much the foundations are getting set. And I think there'd be a lot of encouragement for him to maybe not want to walk away from it in two years' time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that would be the hope for you know Liverpool fans all around the world, no doubt. Um, I think, you know, the first phase of Klopp really spanned from the, the day he came in. Probably you could argue up until... The end of the 1920 season when, when Liverpool eventually won the Premier League. Um, it was probably all building up towards that point. You think of a, a lot of the big 
name signings he made, like Allison, Van Dijk, Fabinho, that that real spine. Of course, he added then Salah and, and Mane a bit, a bit earlier on before those guys. But um, he, he really built that that first. It was almost an eleven. There wasn't a lot of depth beyond that. We saw, you know, when they won the Champions League in twenty nineteen, it was a, a very sim, um, very similar eleven to the one that won the Premier League the next year. And even even if you go back to the 2017 Champions League final, sorry, 2018 um, in Kiev. And most of that team was basically the, the same one that won the Premier League a couple of years later. Um, maybe added in, in Allison one or two players after that, but it was, it was largely the same team that he was working with there for a, a two or three year spell. I think now over the last 12, 18 months, as you say, Guy, he's, he's been building the next phase, Klopp 2.0, if you like. And that was always the question with him that there was never any any you know questions regarding his ability or what he'd done at Liverpool it was yeah pretty much perfect from the day he came in took them up to the top four which was the immediate goal and then from there I don't think anyone would have expected Klopp to to take Liverpool to the heights that they they reached so quickly the question was then he's got arguably the best 11 in the world at that point they're all the same sort of age. You know, we've seen the questions of Mala, um, Salah, Mane and Firmino with the similar sort of age, similar contract. How does he then rebuild the next team? Can he do that? Is, is he going to have the interest to do that? Initially, his contract uh, was due to expire a couple of years ago, wasn't it, until that yeah. renewal? So there was maybe a, a thought that that Champions League was his his legacy, that Premier League could win that with that team and then he'd, he'd leave. But... You now look at Thiago's come in. He's, he's very much a, a player for the now and to improve this eleven immediately, which I think is fair to say he's he's done that. You know he's he's in the strongest eleven when when available. And then I think the the real nod to the future, if you like, the likes of Diogo Jota, Luis Diaz, and obviously Ibrahim Kanate will all come in for similar sort of fees, not not Van Dijk levels. They're kind of 30, 40 millions. They're all players that not many other clubs were, were looking at certainly at Liverpool's level you think for Diaz it seemed to be Everton the summer before or Tottenham this summer you, you weren't having Man United Man City's Chelsea's Real Madrid's there were no teams at that level after these players that, that Liverpool have recruited in the last 18 months and I think even even Klopp himself might admit that he he maybe didn't expect Jota and Diaz certainly have come in and almost now you could argue that their case for if they had a Champions League final would would they be starting? I think that's it's fair enough. They're certainly ahead of Firmino in that, who's been you know one of the key cogs in this Liverpool side since day one under Klopp. So he's he's certainly started building for the future. And then even even beyond those players, the younger ones like Harvey Elliott, I think is a you know player that Klopp really really likes. He saw how he threw him in the start of the season. I was going to say on that, yeah, just like in. The, and it is that, isn't it, Rich? It's sort of in the snap of the fingers, all of a sudden, as Kai was saying, there was a talk probably a year or so ago that, oh, the front three are all growing old together, their contracts are all running up. How does that get resolved? Oh, it's going to be the most expensive part of the pitch to replenish. Those deals have been done and constructed very, very smartly on Liverpool's part, but also then in the midfield. That's been subtly tweaked and changed, where at the beginning of the season, you're looking at Jordan Henderson not always starting games and Harvey Elliott playing in that right-hand side central midfield role, which the year Liverpool won the title, we were all waxing lyrical about Jordan Henderson, just how brilliant he is, the added sort of dimension he brings to the team. Yet Jurgen Klopp has, has proven that he's got a way of actually flipping things and changing it where it doesn't have to be like for like replacement. 
but he can evolve the team. He has now, yes. And that shows how quickly football can change and the landscape of football changes. Um, on, on Kai's point there, back about the, the Champions League final in, in Kiev in 2018, I mean, Liverpool's sort of plan in that match was completely disrupted by the injury to Mohamed Salah after Sergio Ramos did the number on him. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, we can't win this now. But if that was to happen in a final this year, you wouldn't want to see Mo Salah go off the pitch. But it certainly wouldn't be the end of the world because you know what what would what would uh, inevitably be in reserve, whether it was Diaz, whether it was Jota, whether it was Firmino, whatever. That 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 rich uh, bank of resources is there now, and 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 it, it's it, it's more noticeable uh, in the front three. But it's it's you know it's starting to become more evident in other parts of the pitch, and I, I don't think there's been a. A, a true great manager in in the history of the game who, who hasn't, hasn't hasn't earned that title genuinely without evolving aside, and and that's exactly what Klopp is doing here, and and it's it's encouraging to see because you know any talk of uh, uh, you know Klopp leave in 20, 2024 and and stuff like that is you know he's in he's in part two of a project now or maybe even part three of a pod project. And and for sure, he'll want to see that through to its fruition. There's some great managers who've won lots of trophies with different different teams around Europe, and they, and they move on to other clubs and they win elsewhere and whatnot. And no, normally, they've got a fair bit of money at their disposal, but only only the really very best, the real cream of the crop, will, will stay stay for a long time at one club and and not only have continued success, but do it with do it with an evolving side and and uh, you know. Obviously, obvious ones like Alex Ferguson come to mind, um, but that's exactly what Jurgen Klopp seems to be doing now. And and I, I think he's over. He's already a successful manager, and, and you know one of Liverpool's greatest ever managers. But I think his his overall legacy will, will will be judged by just how well he evolves this side now and what success it brings. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Interesting, you mentioned Sir Alex Ferguson, even him by the end, though, he juiced everything out of that final squad he had and left it in ruin. Obviously, hasn't even been rebuilt. I would say if there's one manager maybe out there who would be happy to move on and allow something there with green shoots to be built and taken on, perhaps it would be Jurgen Klopp, a bit like he did for Thomas Tuchel at Borussia Dortmund. But hey, I think that the squad he's building by 2024, there would be no reason really to step away unless he really is setting his decision that actually, no, it is time to move on. Next question, we, we've had a number, as you would imagine, on a certain Mohamed Salah. I'm going to read out, though, Amarul Hafiz's comment, who says that he's a big Liverpool fan from Malaysia. My question is regarding the future of Mohamed Salah with the team. If he leaves, who do you guys think will be the replacement for him? Some names have been mentioned a lot. Anthony, Rafinha, Bowen and Asensio. Rich, I'm going to be really kind and throw this one over to you. But if Mohamed Salah is to leave, how do you replace the best player in the world? Well, I risked my reputation on the last podcast I was on by suggesting that perhaps, maybe, they already have replaced him in the form of Louis Diaz. Now, I'm not saying Louis Diaz is as good as Mo Salah and he's got a long way to go to match the record of Salah, but what he has proven is that he's got the credentials to be a big hit at Anfield and he looks like a player who's going to score... Uh, a lot of goals 
and he and he and he fits perfectly into this Klopp system uh, and also all, has all the strength and dynamism that that are required and that um, Salah has honed over the time that he's been at, uh, at Anfield. You know, Salah did did well for Liverpool straight from the get go, but uh, I don't think people even even when he scored forty goals in a season, I don't think uh, people were necessarily bracketing bracketing him as one of the top three players in the world at that stage. It's really really I think in the last 18 months where his, his overall game has, has been taken to another level and he's not just about goals he's about everything else that he brings to the team and uh, and even emerged as a bit of a leader to that sense as well so some of the names uh, that have been thrown around for him uh, you know like realistic ones like Rafinha maybe Anthony and all those uh, you know I'm looking at them and I'm thinking are any of these can I honestly say any of these are better than Louis Diaz at this point I'd have to say no. I don't think so. You could argue I haven't seen enough of them, but I, I don't think if Salah was to go in the summer, and obviously if he was, that means you're getting a uh, uh, quite a sizable transfer fee for him, as opposed to a year later when you probably get nothing. Um, I, I think there's not necessarily a mad a mad rush to spend that money, or, or certainly not to squander it, unless you can get a. A Killing Mbappe, which or someone like that, which I was just going to say in the summer, if he is to go in the summer, there's a certain Frenchman he might be about. Yeah, it, but you know, just if, if Mohamed Salah goes in the summer, it'll be because Liverpool wouldn't agree to pay him enough. And if they sign Killing Mbappe, is it going to be because Killing Mbappe is happy to be paid what uh, Mohamed Salah wouldn't be happy to be paid? Or is there an argument that they would pay Mbappe more because he's younger? Uh, which probably, you know, from an FSG point of view, would probably make sense, actually. But at the same time, I don't see them ripping up their wage structure uh, just to sign one one megastar. Um, but, I don't, you know, it, it seems unlikely that, but I don't think it's completely off the table. Uh, of course, a lot of it will be driven uh, uh, whether Seller actually what, uh, chooses to stay or not. But I don't, at the same time, I don't think that Liverpool should be held to ransom by one player who, you know, is touching 30. Uh, he's still one of the best players in the world, but it, it, it seems it seems a bit dangerous to tie yourself into a mega money contract for so many years um, when you don't know, you know exactly how long he's going to be able to retain at that peak. I mean, all the signs are good. You know, he keeps himself in incredible shape. Uh, he's never looked more focused. But, um, it, you know, there will be a point where where the club will say, look, this is the most we can offer you. I don't think they're at that point, by the way. I think there's, a, there's still a little bit of uh, negotiating going on here, a bit of bartering. Um, but there will, there will be a limit. And I don't think um, Liverpool should recklessly put themselves over that just for the case of keeping Mohamed Salah at Anfield. Yeah, you have seen that at Arsenal, guys. Yeah. In, in your case, I, I was twice. waiting. Mesut Ozil, of course, first, and then Aubameyang. There was all all that for our, around. Is he going to get the contract? Just give him what he wants. And... I'd say Aubameyang goes the closest comparison, like what you were saying there, Rich, in terms of Aubameyang effectively won an FA Cup single-handedly, and and then it was paying what he wants. Mohamed Salah is the best player in the world, paying what he wants, yeah. and then immediately the drop off kicked in with Ozil. I think it's probably a bit different. Yeah. Podcast, no need to analyse that, but I think there, there may be our comparisons with Aubameyang in that case. Kai, just on it though, and it goes back to the question we were talking about last time in terms of the phase and the stage of this Liverpool squad. When, if Salah leaves, Mane leaves, Firmino leaves, do you think the Liverpool front three 
is going to be so set as one's the right-sided player, one's the left-sided player, and one's through the middle. Because we've seen with Diaz, as, as Rich mentioned, and also with Diogo Jota, the fluidity and flexibility mm. to fit in anywhere. Actually, of those those names, it's a thirst for transfers all the time. And everyone looks at Salah and goes, right, when he goes, it's got to be a left-footed, right-sided player who comes in. Yeah. But actually, I, I'm not sure that will be the case. No, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree. I think with, with this, the current front three, if you like, if Firmino is the, the false nine, that is his, his only role in this Liverpool side. And Mane is the, the right footer on the left and Salah is the right footer, sorry, left footer on the right. And, and that is how they've been for four years or so. Um, Jota and Diaz, we've seen it already. Both of them can operate on the left, through the middle, on the right. So that you've immediately got that versatility there. And you'd imagine whoever they go for next there, if it is someone with the profile of Rafinha, for example, you know, obviously he's a, again, a kind of right-sided player, but would have that um, versatility to play probably anywhere across the front three. And that, that does seem to be the way that they're, they're going with their recruitment and, you know, uh, Pep, Pep Linder's famous line in that press conference, like, um, identity is intensity so they, they clearly just want people that are playing on the front foot can press and can play anywhere in a number of different positions across that front three so it wouldn't surprise me at all to see someone like that come in and I, I wouldn't necessarily expect Liverpool to go out and maybe as we saw when they sold Coutinho and for 142 million they didn't spend 120 million on a Coutinho replacement they invested it into a goalkeeper and a centre-back and completely transformed the side and I, I wouldn't surprise me at all to see them go out and sign another forty million pound forward in the profile of Diaz and Jota, and and elevate them to that level as as they've done with so many players over the last few years, and then maybe invest the salary money, all completely hypothetically, of course, into other areas of the team like they did with Coutinho. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Right to to wrap things up, and don't just throw this together. Bring it back round to where we started, and Kyle, I'll come to you on this one. We were talking earlier about the quadruple. We've spoken about the makeup of that front four. And Uma Romane uh, writes in, says, with Liverpool having an abundance of attacking stars, can you see Jurgen Klopp going with a front four in any of the big games against City? He used it against them last season. So we have spoke about firepower. We have spoke about the thirst for trophies. Is that the way Liverpool do this? They just go pedal to the metal, heavy metal football, and just go all out? Or do you think it'll be more conservative? It's, it's certainly an option, um, and that's not me sitting on the fence, <laughs> but it is. Um, no, yeah, we, we did see him try that last season, and I, I think, if I remember right, the first half an hour of the game, Liverpool completely blitzed them and had so many chances, didn't, didn't actually manage to, to score in that period. They started like a house on fire, and after maybe 20, 30 minutes, it kind of settled down in the city, as they inevitably do, took a hold on the game of their the way they play in their possession and Liverpool then had to tweak it. But you could argue that the plan almost worked in terms of the start and the intensity. And if, if they'd have just been able to convert one of those chances, then that, that would have been, you know, worked down to an absolute T. And um, will he do it in one of these games? Potentially, I, I would be inclined to see to say that it may be something that he'll swap to. Maybe after an hour, if, if it's needed, the option's there. We know that Liverpool like the 4-3-3 and you have the three solid players in the middle and then the, the three in the forward line. And you've always got that option to bring on, whether it's a Firmino or a Diaz or a Jota, to then add to that if you're if you're chasing the game or need a goal. 
I think if the, the one time I, I could maybe see it is if, for example, they have a, but they're not going to now, but if, for example, it was like a Champions League game against City and the second leg was at Anfield, I could absolutely see... Benfica's second leg? Well, I suppose if, the question was about City, but yeah. No, yeah, yeah. yeah it, that kind of game. When you've got a Champions League, second leg at Anfield, whatever the score is, if it's 1-0 one or 1-0, one, a close game, and we saw it so often in that 17-18 season on route to Kiev, where Liverpool would just blow teams away in the first first half and it almost kill games off. You'd be 3-0 up at half-time and the time's done. So... um. In that situation, would be maybe where I'd, I might expect to see it more this season. Rich, is that one of the things that Luis Diaz has added as well? Not just himself, but he seems to have broken Jurgen Klopp's mould in terms of it so often was 4 3 3. Attacking players would come on for attacking players and it would be like for like type thing. But it seems since Diaz has come in, he's so willing to get him on the pitch all the time. But it's not just hooking Sadio Mane off or he'll, he'll, he'll throw. Diaz on, he'll also throw Minamino on, he'll throw Origi on. We've we have seen in kind of the last two months or so now, since Diaz has been here, mashups of kind of four four twos or four two fours, whatever you want to call them, where Liverpool do really overload and throw the attacking players on. Uh, and yet, I think with the exception of Leeds United, they haven't exactly gone goal crazy in this period either, have they? You know what I mean? It's a lot of uh, two ones, two nils. Yeah, exactly. So, which is which is uh, especially obviously particularly in the uh, if, if we're looking at the the Premier League, and that that is the bedrock of 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 winning any league title. And I think I think uh, Klopp alluded to that that the team had the conversation about leaking less goals, and 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 uh, and by doing that, they've they've managed to string together uh, this great run of victories as it, that has brought them to within a point of uh, of Manchester City. But I do I do think you're right that. Diaz has he has brought a different dimension, and you know uh, it, there will be a temptation of Klopp to be able to get as many of his best players on the pitch as he can, as he can, as long as he thinks he's got the balance there to be able to uh, to implement it effectively. And the fact that Firmino is capable of dropping deeper, it's not like you, it's not like you're necessarily just putting on more of the same. You know what I mean? You've got you've got different type of forwards that are interchangeable, but but can still do. Uh, a variety of roles, and and Firmino being a little bit deeper than the other three, uh, it gives them gives them that option really, which which is an interesting option that he wouldn't have planned for because he wasn't expecting to sign Luis Diaz in, in January. You know, this has all happened since since his, uh, the acceleration of his signing. Um, but just in terms of whether he would uh, actually implement that from the off against Manchester City. Um, I, 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 I kind of agree with Kai's point on that. You know, if he needed to change it and get players on the pitch to do that, he's got that option. He could go with four up front. If you look just in isolation at the two Manchester City fixtures, he can afford to draw with Manchester City, go to extra time and penalties in the FA Cup semi-final. If Manchester City beat Burnley, um, we assume that Liverpool beat Watford. Never assume anything, but we're going to say they beat Watford. Um, when Liverpool go to... City before the FA Cup match, they need to get a result there, you know, and he needs to come up with a plan to do that. And and whether it's to keep it tight and then come up with a something later in the game, or it's to throw a bit of a bit of a wild card in there and start with four forwards and, and blitz them early doors and then sit tight. Only Jurgen Klopp can tell us that. But the very fact that he has got this option now uh, not only gives Jurgen Klopp something to think, something extra to think about, but also Pep Guardiola is too. And we know how much. Guardiola hates getting his head wrecked by uh, Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. 
Yeah, it does love to overthink things as well. Right, that brings us to a close for this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. Apologies to anybody if I've absolutely butchered pronunciations of names. My reserved apologies for that. Rich and Kai, I think you guys have done a decent job when the others come back from their international breaks. I think they're going to be the ones chomping at the bit trying to get back in. You're in possession of the jerseys, eh, lads? You're only as good as your last game, Guy. Me and Richard will be back at Kirby with the reserves. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that's it for the Blood Red Podcast. From myself, Guy Clark, Kai Delady and Rich Garnet. Thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.